This week's podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate, the monthly subscription box for geeks, gamers, and pop culture nerds. Join Loot Crate as they celebrate the futuristic. They've packed July's crate with items from some of pop culture's favorite prognostications of science and the future. Look forward towards tomorrow with items from Rick and Morty, Futurama, Star Trek, Mega Man, Valiant Comics, and Star Trek, including a model, a figure, and don't forget their monthly tea and pin. You only have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate, and when the cutoff happens, that's it, it's over. So go to lootcrate.com story and enter code STORY to save $3 on your new subscription today. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it wow. out. I feel it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Nitin Ron. It was recorded in March 2016 at Union Hall in Brooklyn as part of Brain Awareness Week. I'd like to begin by sharing with you who my hero and inspiration is. I absolutely love Marvel comics, but it is not one of those superheroes. I totally, totally love Star Wars, and it is definitely not Abhi-Wan Kenobi, and most certainly, God forbid, not Darth Vader. I have lots and lots of heroes. Some of them are not bigger than the size of your iPhone 6 Plus, and these are the tiny premature babies that I take care of, as a neonatologist, a newborn and premature baby specialist. Do you know what is absolutely cool about a newborn baby? They might be in their incubators, sometimes with four or five IVs running through them, sometimes a breathing tube through their mouth. It turns four weeks, five weeks, and then they start smiling. This big, bright smile lights up their face. Unlike adults, babies cannot fake a smile. (laughs) I really feel that they are able to do this because they have mastered the art and the science of being able to live in the moment. They don't let the past come into the present. Imagine if the baby said, oh my goodness, I'm premature. I'm not even supposed to be born. One tiny virus and in an hour I will be gone. (laughs) If they thought that, they wouldn't even last five minutes. And I truly believe this is something that we can all learn from them to master the ability of being in the moment. Too many times we let the past come into the present and just distort this beautiful, beautiful present. I feel that the reason to achieve this and the way to achieve this is through love and compassion. And love and compassion always needs to begin with self-love and self-compassion. And I believe that one of the paths which can lead through this is through the path of meditation on these qualities. I've been very lucky to be able to go into the Himalayas several times. I've been luckier enough to climb Mount Everest four times. 
I had a very interesting incident on one of my hikes in the Himalayas several years ago. I was doing this remote trek on this glacier up in the high Himalayas, walking in sub-zero temperatures with six layers of clothes around me. And then I see these group of monks dancing, laughing, chanting, and walking on the same glacier with me for two weeks. They were not wearing any clothes except for a loincloth. No shoes, no slippers barefoot on this glacier. I am looking at them and think, okay, I'm a medical doctor. This is not making any sense. <laughs> so my diagnosis as a doctor was, hey, maybe they have frostbite, maybe they have gangrene, and therefore the nerve fibers in their feet are obtunded, and therefore they can't feel. So I stopped them, and I told them, please, sir, can I examine your feet? And they were absolutely cool dudes. They said, why not? <laughs> so I looked at their feet, and their feet were perfectly fine. This drove home to me that maybe there is a tremendous energy, a tremendous power to meditation, which science, as we know it, maybe doesn't even realize completely. This inspired me to start a project in the Himalayas to look at the effect of pranayama, which is yoga breathing, and meditation at high altitude to see if this prevents mountain sickness. It's a very cool project. It involves taking these little portable ultrasound machines with us up into the high altitudes, doing ultrasounds of the eyes to look at the optic nerve sheath diameter, which is an indirect representation of your brain pressures. It also involves doing neurocognitive and neuroanalytical tests up at high altitude. And the result is actually quite encouraging so far telling us that pranayam, the yoga breathing, and meditation might play a very major role in maintaining human health and in keeping away illness. Why the heck am I talking about all of this? Why is this practically relevant? I'm talking love, I'm talking compassion, I'm talking meditation, I'm talking mountains, and I'm talking babies, yeah. So <laughs> let me share something with you. Little Katie was born at 34 weeks of gestation. She was therefore born quite premature. She was born with only one eye. She did not have a nose. She had just two holes to breathe through. And she just had a big gaping hole for a mouth. A small part of her brain was missing. We had to struggle very hard to resuscitate her. And she did pull through. As doctors, we were very pessimistic whether she would survive. And if she did survive, we were extremely <coughs> confident that she would have incredible amount of disabilities. Katie's mom looked at me and said, Dr. Ron, please do your very, very best to help my baby. I am going to shower her with all my love, my compassion, my affection. And maybe, maybe just one day, little Katie might do at least some of the things that regular babies do. We were extremely skeptical about all of this. The third day, a part of her skull collapsed, and she required a neurosurgical operation. On the fifth day, Katie started having seizures. We got these things under control. She turned four months, and she ended up being discharged home with her mother. They ended up moving to California. Five years passed. A few weeks ago, 
when I was doing rounds in my intensive care unit, one of my nurses, Anne-Marie, came running to me and she said, Dr. Ron, there is somebody to meet you at the door. I went out and there was this five-year-old girl in this wheelchair. She was sitting there, she looked at me. She had a hole in the trachea called a tracheostomy, which is the only way that a little baby can breathe if there is malformation of the trachea. She looked at me and she covered the tracheostomy with her fingers, which is again the only way that a baby with tracheostomy is able to talk. And she said, my mommy told me that you are the doctor that saved my life. Thank you so much for doing that. I was in utter shock realizing that this was Katie. Her mom told me, Dr. Ron, I have spent every hour of my waking life trying to help her, trying to maximize her potential. Katie can now actually talk quite fluently. She still cannot walk. She can barely stand up. But, you know, I was utterly astounded. This was the greatest shattering of my arrogance, of my ego to realize that she was doing so many more things than we ever thought possible. I spoke with Katie and her mother for about 10 minutes. They left. And then I went to the bathroom and cried, utterly overwhelmed by the power of love. This inspired us to start a project in my intensive care unit at our hospital called the Baby Cuddler Program where we have these volunteer cuddlers to come in and just cuddle and play with these premature babies. It's wonderful, there is very strong scientific evidence that these babies which are cuddled stay in the hospital for a much shorter period of time. They have far fewer complications. They go home much, much sooner than non-cuddled babies. And from Alma Mater at Brown, there has been follow-up all the way into teenage, into these children. And these people who are cuddled and fondled and get the human touch, they are far better balanced as teenagers than the non-cuddled ones. What take-home message do I have after all of this? These are very challenging times. We look in the media, we read everything. There is so much negativity around. It's extremely easy to lose our love, extremely easy to lose our compassion. And I really, really feel there is no reason and no need to do that. Yes, science is absolutely important. Technology is absolutely important. We are where we are because of science and technology. But at the same time, sometimes we end up relegating love to the back burner. I firmly believe that the power of love is absolutely immense and it can change the way things are done in the world. I really truly believe that among other things, all you need is love. Thank you so much. That was Neaton Rong, 
Eaton is a neonatologist, baby doctor, and loves high-altitude trekking and mountaineering. He's an associate professor of pediatrics at New York Methodist Hospital and loves to use innovative methods to teach medical students. He is leading a research project in the Himalayas, including the Mount Everest region, involving ultrasound of the eye and the body to predict mountain sickness. He also volunteers as an art guide at the Rubin Museum of Himalayan Art in New York City, and this is a reminder that medicine is so much of an art as well as a science. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, R.A. Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, and Liz Neely. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, to Brain Awareness Week and Be Brainy for being amazing partners, and to doctors who save premature babies. Not a joke, I was one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>